All right, so today I thought we would talk about Pagal Baba. And of course, if you've been following along, this is a part of our series on the book Glimpses of a Golden Childhood by Osho. So if you'd like to, you can go back and listen to the previous parts, and there will be a few more parts coming in the series that will help to build up a picture of all the little anecdotes that we've been talking about and all the little stories that we've been just taking a quick little look at. So, Osho met Pagal Baba. And Pagal means the mad. So this was kind of, I guess he was a kind of guru or a kind of eccentric local hero in the spiritual world, (laughs) I guess you could say. And people would come to Pagal as they did with basically any sort of guru. They would come for advice, they would come to stay at his ashram, they would come for blessings, they would come for prayers, they would come for his discourses. He was basically a well-established guru who was who was seen as mad he was seen as quite crazy there were many things that he did that were controversial and being outspoken and caused a stir in the community and all these sorts of things so when pagal baba and osho first met they went swimming together and osho actually was a very strong swimmer because he'd been swimming in the river every day. He used to actually swim up to six hours a day from 4 a.m. till 10. And he used to cross the the river both ways in the rainy season. So he would swim across the river and then back again. And it was actually three miles. Like the current was so strong that it would take him three miles downstream each way, so six miles altogether before he could go all the way across and then all the way back. And actually, I believe there's a story where Osho is swimming with his friend, another kid, and he died or he like he got lost in the river and and was assumed to be drowned. And Osho, you know, spent days and days and weeks, months looking for him, but never found him. And one of the gestures that Osho did in the end was to actually throw Pagal Baba's flute, which was a gift to him, into the river to sort of commemorate his friend and to sort of say, wow, what happened there, my old friend? So very dangerous swimming and very strong swimming. And for Osho and Pagal Baba to swim together and it turned out that it was Pagal who said first oh we should we should stop you know this is getting a bit too much you know it's it, it was sort of like the way I imagine it was a bit a bit of a showdown you know like oh you want to go swimming with, with me young kid you know I'm Pagal Baba the mad you want to keep up with my strength right and then once they did it it was like wow this this kid really can swim strong so that that was sort of the respect and the sort of introduction that they had together. And 
Pagal Baba really recognized the genius of Osho. He recognized his consciousness right from the get-go. So he sort of took him under his wing and he would take him into his his ashram, into his sort of holy place, (laughs) if you can call it such a thing. But he took him in and he even made him sit next to him and sort of like on this pillow and up up higher than him, right? So it was almost like Osho was his second or sort of standing over him in a way, presiding over him. And, and Osho was very sort of un, uneasy about this, you know, he felt very awkward about this, but he went along with it and was able to become more comfortable with this. And so people would come to see Pagal Baba and be like, what, what, why is this kid sitting up behind you, right? Why is he sort of elevated? And every time or any time there was an objection, Pagal Baba would say, hey, you need, you need to respect this kid. You need to listen to him. And there were also stories of Pagal Baba taking Osho to meet other enlightened masters and other gurus and other spiritual teachers and asking him, oh, is this guy the real deal? Or is he really enlightened? And it was sort of also like a test that Pagal Baba was putting Osho through because he he could see quite deeply himself and for him to test Osho and see, oh, is this guy the real deal? Then that was for him to sort of reassure himself that, well, this kid really is on a higher level. And of course, Osho could see, right? Remember, he he can always see what someone is. So when there was a fake guru or there was someone who was not really up to the level of consciousness that you would expect in a master, then he would say it and he would tell Pagal Baba and sometimes even call out the gurus right in front of them. And I mean, really, when you're talking about masters and you're talking about consciousness, it's very rare to find a true master. It's very rare. Out of thousands and thousands of gurus and people who speak and people who have, even people who have their own ashram and their own following, even out of all of them, you're very, uh, it's very unlikely that you're going to meet a bona fide, genuine, enlightened master. And there's one story where someone turns up to visit Pagal Baba and and he's, you know, a little bit over himself or a little bit full of himself. And Osho tells Pagal Baba to hit this guy. So Pagal Baba does and he hits him. And, you know, this guy's like, "What? why are you taking these orders from this kid and doing this? And Pagal Baba says, well, actually, you need to touch his feet because this kid is a genius. And as I've explained, touching someone's feet in Indian culture is the highest form of respect. So... That was very much a a dramatic moment for him to touch his feet. And that, that sort of became this thing with Pagal Baba and Osho, which was that he was asking people, telling people to touch this kid's feet. And some people would be very much shocked and offended and like, oh, why? You know, like they have this huge resistance to it. And yet, some people would listen and recognize, ah, 
Pagal Baba is really saying something, I need to do this. And certain people did recognize the wisdom of Pagal Baba and recognize the genius in Osho and then feel very grateful to be able to touch Osho's feet and then feel very warm and actually get into a deep connection and then to realize, ah, they've encountered someone who is truly amazing. So, hundreds and hundreds of people would have come to see Pagal Baba while Osho was with him in that time, if not thousands. So, Osho was getting a very deep awareness of what it means to meet a lot of people. And also, this is sort of part of his rise to notoriety, right? He was sort of getting a bit of a reputation or it's just like another leg of the story which sort of adds to his snowballing effect. And there there are many of those things that we've talked about previously in this series. So, that's a little bit. What else have we got here in my notes? He took him to see so many saints and asked if they were real. And Osho, Osho was able to pick who was the real saint and who was not. That's the, that's the point of that story. And then Osho's dad... <laughs> Osho's dad came and said that he was worried because he was spending so much time with this crazy guru. And someone said, oh... You shouldn't be worried about Pagal Baba. You should. Oh, you shouldn't be worried about Osho. You should be worried about Pagal Baba, right? <laughs> it was like they recognised that Osho was even more of a rascal than this this Baba. And yeah, the other sort of side of the story is that Pagal Baba was the second enlightened person to recognise Osho. And the first being the other one that we talked about, Magababa, who didn't speak. We talked about him in a previous part for this series. But it was important that Osho had at least three people recognize him as a child, as someone who was going to become enlightened. And Pagal Baba actually worked to make sure a third person would do this and that person was master baba so i believe master baba didn't meet osho until after pagal baba had died but it had been arranged for him to come and meet him and him to recognize him and when he did arrive osho did realize who he was and master baba did realize who osho was and he touched his feet and he had tears in his eyes and he called him his master, and he just realized that, well, this was the moment. So, three people, three enlightened people recognized Osho's genius as a child, which was Maga Baba, Pagal Baba, and Master Baba. And the importance of that is quite, quite tricky to illustrate and quite amazing to realize. Because on some level, this is true for every child. It's not just true for the outliers and the enlightened masters that we study. It's like if someone recognizes your inner genius, 
then it becomes real to you and steps are taken to nurture it. Steps are taken to allow it to flourish, allow it to grow, right? It was very much a miracle of Osho's conditioning that everything sort of fell into place, right? His parents knew a deep love. His father let him get into all sorts of mischief. His nanny let him buy all those books and build this massive library. His teachers allowed him to skip school to some degree. And now these saints and sages and these enlightened sadhus and mystics have recognized his genius and they've got people to touch Osho's feet and show him the respect he deserves and give him the support that he needs. And if you think, wow, like what, what would life look like if every child had that? Like what a world we would live in if every child had the support and the love they need. Like it's, it's quite heartbreaking to really think about it. If, you, if I think about this really deeply, it really is quite heartbreaking because so much of our systems and institutions today are just conveyor belt systems, right? It's every child gets the same treatment. It's very much less attention, right? Just by, just by the laws of numbers, if you have a class of 30 kids and one teacher, well, like how much attention and support is there that can go around? Really, it would be good if you had that, equa- that equation in reverse, right? If you had 30 teachers and one child, that's that's my vision, quite seriously. And it's not impossible to have that. It's not impossible to really get that. Because if you think a child has their learning years from the ages of 6 or 7 to the ages of 17 to 18, that's what, like 10, 12 years? Something like that? So if you have people teaching for that period of time, well... When do you start teaching? From your mid-20s to 30s? And you can teach right up till the rest of your life, right? So just by the basic maths as to how long people live and how much time people are learning for and getting support for, and I guess, you know, the other factor would be, well, how many people are there? (laughs) But even, even if there are more kids than adults... Right, even if that ratio is off, like, yeah, like for me, the maths is clear that it is possible to do this. I guess the other thing that comes into it is, well, motivation or economics or something like that, or the actual structures themselves. So, so maybe this whole thing, this is a, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole. This is a big rabbit hole. Like the whole question of education is quite a big issue, but to think. Osho had the support that he needed. He had his genius recognized. And thank God that it did. So, Masto also introduced him to the Prime Minister. And that was another story that we talked about where he sort of spoke with this guy and this politician realized that he actually wanted to be a poet and he connected very deeply with Osho and then some other ministers got 
jealous of like, why is this kid talking to the prime minister? And that sort of created this another whole other thing. And then the other thing is that Master was the first person to call Osho the Blessed One, or I believe Bhagwan. So he was the first one to sort of doubt upon Osho, his new name, which was Bhagwan. And that was quite significant because once that was sort of bestowed upon him, <laughs> if we can put it in such terms, then that was the moment where, you know, it was from that point on that people had to recognize his genius and they had to see, well, this is someone we're dealing with who is on a whole nother level of consciousness. So, the other thing is that Pagal Baba asked Osho to give the fire at his funeral. So, the person that lights the fire at your cremation in Indian culture is the eldest son. And that's a gift. That's a kind of rite of passage, in a sense, of passing the torch or passing the baton through the generations. So, that's quite significant for Pagal Baba to ask that of Osho. And actually, Osho did not give fire at his own father's funeral. And that was also a a statement in relation to this tradition. So, his younger brother, or the second youngest brother, I believe Osho was like, he was one of like 10 kids or one of 12 kids or something. I can't remember. But there there was a lot of brothers and sisters. So, the second eldest to Osho became like the eldest. And Osho was very grateful for his brother making the sacrifice to take on that role and to do the duties and to do the care and to live culturally in that position in the family because that position in the family does have cultural implications and not not so much ceremonial as in giving the fire, but just sort of as functioning because Osho wasn't around in the family, right? He was off doing all sorts of his crazy life. So, the the other point of this is that Osho's father became a sannyasin and it was almost like, it's sort of quite funny how Osho talks about this. He He almost disowns his father. He almost says to him, you're you're not my father. You are not, you, you've got nothing to do with me in this sort of family relation. And yet, it wasn't that he was disowning him in, out of bitterness or rejection or anything like that. It was that it just had to be acknowledged that th- there was some other thing with Osho, with his existence, with his life where he came from. It was just that family was not going to be able to function in its normal conventional way. So, yeah, I mean, Osho Osho had his father as someone who was not his father, and yet he came to him as a sannyasin. So, he became a follower. So, Osho had his biological father as someone who was his follower, his student his sort of friend, I guess. I mean, the the other way of looking at becoming a sannyasin of Osho is becoming his friend. 
So that that's a very strange dynamic and it's sort it's sort of understandable because when you consider that Osho's father could never tell him what to do. He could never put him under any rules. He could never really teach him anything. And Osho had always asserted his truth and his awareness over his father, as well as all of the adults in his life. So it makes sense to sort of frame it in that way. So that's a little bit about his father, and that's a little bit about Hagal Baba and Master Baba. So Master Baba was the third enlightened master to become friends with Osho and to work with him and to really get people on board and make sure that people gave him the respect that he needs. And I believe Master Baba was quite an accomplished flute player. And that was a very big part of Osho's life is listening to flute music and listening to music in a meditative or traditional classic, class Indian classical music sort of way. And there are many stories that happen between them. So, yeah, I think that's probably enough for now. I mean, Osho does give these Masto's maxims, which is never to enter into any organization and yet never speak against the establishment. And he sort of says (laughs) that he uses, he sometimes uses Masto Baba as his way of putting out words when it's really his words. <laughs> so, and in fact, Osho did that with a lot of people and a lot of not just living masters that he knew personally, but also with the greats such as Jesus and Muhammad and Lao Tzu and all the rest of them. All right, we'll finish up this part. And when you're ready, we'll go into the next part in the series. So thanks very much. Talk soon. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye for now.